listening to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, a look at the latest news in Louisiana agriculture. Coming up, we'll have a look at this week's Louisiana Ag News headlines. We'll check out the latest happenings at the state capitol and in Washington, D.C. in our grassroots government segment. We'll hear from one of you as we take you to the fields and pastures of the Bayou State and find out the latest in crop and cattle conditions. And we'll look inside the markets with commentary from experts at the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. All of this and more coming up on this week's podcast. Now, here's the host of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, Carrie Martin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast for Monday, August 12th of 2019. I'm your host, Carrie Martin. We'll hit three big topics in our news headline segment. First, we'll talk about a lawsuit that's going on with rice producers here in the state of Louisiana. Every rice producer has been put into a class action lawsuit against the Louisiana Department of Agriculture and Forestry and the rice checkoff. We'll dig deep into that subject with Acadia Parish rice producer Jackie Lohr. He'll tell us about the history of the lawsuit, how we got to where we are, and why it's important that rice producers opt out of that class action suit. The second topic we'll cover, cotton prices. About a year ago, we were around 90 cents a pound on cotton. Even a few months ago, we were in the 80s. Today, we're in the high 50s. Cotton prices have absolutely tanked over this summer, and we'll talk with LSU Ag Center Ag Economist Michael Deliberto about why that is. Of course, the China trade situation is one big factor, but there are other factors that Dr. Deliberto will talk about. And the last big subject topping the news, rice harvest is well underway here in Louisiana. We'll check in with LSU rice specialist Dr. Dustin Harrell to get his take on how rice harvest is looking so far. In grassroots government, we'll check in and visit with an old friend, Andy Anders. Andy is a former farmer turned state legislator. He has been in the House of Representatives longer than any other legislator. He's been referred to as the dean of the legislature right now. He's term limited out and finishing up his final term this coming fall. We'll visit with Andy and take a look back over his legislative career. We'll talk about the importance of farmers like himself being involved in the legislative process. And we'll see what's in the future for Andy Anders. That's coming up on Grassroots Government. We'll go in the field to talk with Alan Lawson. He's a rice, crawfish, and soybean producer in Acadia Parish. Alan will give us an update on rice harvest on his farm and talk about what kind of damage Hurricane Barry did. In our market segment, there's a lot to talk about. USDA released its latest crop production and supply and demand report on Monday, and it had a very big effect on the markets. We'll check in with Greg Fox to see what kind of reaction the grain markets had. Then we'll check in with Dave Foster of Cattle Producers of Louisiana to see why the cattle market took a big drop on Monday. Then we'll wrap up the podcast by heading to the Arklatex for our regular visit with Jack Dillard. All of that coming up on Episode 36 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. And it all kicks off right now. Here's a look at the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. In farm news, Louisiana rice growers, landowners, and stakeholders have all received notices recently informing them that they are automatically a participant in a class action lawsuit against the Louisiana Department of Agriculture and Forestry and the state's rice research and promotion boards. The Louisiana Rice Growers Association and the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation's Rice Advisory Committee are teaming up to tell rice producers that this lawsuit could threaten the future of the Louisiana rice industry and to encourage them to opt out of the lawsuit. For more information on that, we check in with Jackie Lower. He's a rice producer in Acadia Parish. Jackie, I know that this really isn't anything new. We've had lawsuits over the rice checkoff and rice promotion in this state for quite a while. Yeah, since about 12 in different iterations, we've lost some, we've won some. Uh, There have have been some changes, 
but it's been around. It's, it's just one thing that just won't go away. So what is the newest incarnation of it? Why are producers and, and landowners and stakeholders getting this class action notice in the mail here recently? Okay, in 1993, uh, we were still having referendums every five years by law, set set by the legislature. And, and, and um, we had a referendum to, to ask the farmers if they would like to have no refunds, and we called it uh, uh, equal assessment, where everybody would have to pay in. It would be mandatory. It was mandatory before, but you got a refund. So we voted, and it was about 80 to 85 percent, or even 90 percent for the research board, that it would be mandatory equal assessment. And that's, and that's what we did. So everybody paid in, couldn't get anything out. Uh, since about 92 or 93, I'm not sure exactly which year it was. And that's been the challenge. And where we lost that is in the Supreme Court after an appeal. Uh, the Supreme Court had decided, uh, determined, that the legislature could not give a group of citizens the authority to assess themselves, to, to have a checkoff. So that threw, out, that threw out the checkoff completely. And so what we came together with, the plaintiffs and the defendants got together and said, okay, we can redo this and, and have it, but, but uh, we wouldn't we'd do, not do away with the re- referendums. It would be a mandatory checkoff. And you could get a refund if you, if you didn't want to participate. And that's, we've been there since 2014. And now what they want to do is recover the funds we'll put in under that time where there was no refund. And, and at the time, the boards, both boards that were meeting were, were, were following state law that was determined by the Supreme Court later that they didn't have, the, that the legislature didn't have the authority to do what they did. And so then we had, they went back and had to redo everything. And so now this lawsuit is to recover the attempt to recover the checkoff funds that people paid in during that time period when there was no refund. What's what's in doubt right now is, even at the court level, is what period of time the notice covers. So when you look at this lawsuit, Jackie, it's almost like rice producers are just suing themselves. Is that the case? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And the state of Louisiana. Technically, they're suing the state of Louisiana. So we have people that are that are the the uh, the uh, class representatives that actually serve on other state boards, not not that does not have to do with agriculture, that sue in the state for recovery of these funds that think they are owed them, uh, and legally, uh, we we have a little problem with that, and that's why it, that's why it goes to court, and that's why we have these kind of laws in uh, in, in the U.S. and in Louisiana to determine who's correct. So why do you feel like a rice producer should opt out of this lawsuit? The notice is, is uh, to allow people to get out of the class if they don't like to be in the class for several reasons. One, they, they, they may want to take legal action themselves. If you stay in the class, you can't do anything else. But the other thing is, and, and it's, a, it's a moral and ethical question for me, because you're going to probably ask me, am I going to opt out? And I said, absolutely, because I don't want to be identified with the people that are driving this. Uh, I think it sends a message to the court to opt out that there's not as many people as they think that are going to do this. Uh, one thing that if you don't opt out, there will still be a chance not to. Not there will be a chance at some point, depending on the results of the of the court, they will have an opportunity to apply for the funds that they put in in the years that are determined by the court that the notice covers. Although that's not even determined for sure if that's the right dates yet. So there's a lot of things still up in the air. But uh, uh, by opting out, I think we send a message to the court. That, uh, that most rice producers are not behind this lawsuit. It's just a few that would like to, to, to get, get some funds back out of this. Well, Jackie, I thought that when we did all of that work in the legislature back in 2014 that it fixed all of the checkoffs. Was that the case? It did fix it. It did fix it. And this is to recover funds that were, that were checked off in the period of time where the refunds were not allowed. And that's why the end the end date on the notice is, is uh, 2014 because after 14 you could get a, you could get a refund again. Well, Jackie, it looks like we have until the end of this month, August 26th, to opt out of this lawsuit. What would you say to rice producers about that? Why would you encourage them to do that? Well, I think the idea of giving something for a certain project or or uh, cause and then asking for it back is not something we've been trained by our parents to do. I think it's a, like I said before, I think it's a moral decision. Uh, uh, there's, there's several in the state that don't want to be identified with this. Uh, there will still be a time, even if a person does not opt out, there'll be a time 
uh, at some point, depending on the decision of the court, of course, if the class remains in place, that there'll be a time a person would have to to, to uh, uh, make an application for certain funds, depending on which years he farmed and how much he produced, and you'd have to come up with all those records. So a person could not opt out and still not apply for awards that the court may or may not give out. Well, uh, let's talk about that money, Jack. I mean, that money has gone into that checkoff money has gone into research, market promotion. I mean, that money uh, has done a lot of good for the Louisiana rice industry. Well, you know, I, I like to say that that I got my money back already. I got mine uh, with improved seed. I got up to date knowledge of how to manage my rice crop. Given any issue that pops up, any any trade barrier that maybe that pops up, we have we have uh, uh, things in place to deal with that. And and uh, uh, everybody who's sold rice since 1973 actually has had a multiple return on these checkoff dollars. Uh, if these boards go away, because the, the the funds have to come from the state. But every dollar that's in these research boards' bank account is state funds, and so the state could use those funds for the awards if they're if they're awarded. And uh, and if if that's the case, then then the research boards pretty much just go away. And if they go away, who do we turn to the next time a disease pops up that we don't know about or some trade barrier is erected? Uh, we don't have all the answers right now, but we sure have some answers. When the boards go away, we have no answers. Uh, and then the other thing I think people have to ask themselves in, in their decision whether to opt out or not is what do we leave in place for the children that come behind us and farm? Do we leave them a legacy of of, of uh, tools to use in in, uh, in dealing uh, as a community with our with our uh, with our issues, or do are we all on our own and best man comes out and best man wins? And I don't think that's what we want. And I think that's why you're going to see a lot of people opt out, including myself. Acadia Parish rice grower, Jackie Lohr. Thanks a lot, Jackie. Okay, you bet. Now, if you'd like more information on how to opt out of the lawsuit, you can go to our website, voiceoflouisianaagriculture.com or voiceoflaag.com. On the homepage, top right corner at the top right sidebar of the website, we've got a link and information on how you can opt out of this lawsuit. In other farm news, the ongoing trade dispute between the U.S. and China has caused the cotton market to tank this summer because China had been a major importer of U.S. cotton for several years. But as Don Molino reports, that isn't the only thing affecting the cotton market right now. Even as the tariff issues continue between the U.S. and China, LSU Ag Center economist Dr. Michael Deliberto points out India has become a major importer of U.S. cotton. After their crop has come into question, they've had high domestic prices in country for a while, so our imported cotton from a quality and from a price standpoint is very appealing to their milling sector. But I think the overall slowdown in global demand coupled with the trade tensions that already exist with China definitely hinders on the market and really produces a bearish undertone to what we're seeing now, especially with the USDA reported numbers out of the WASD. It altered some figures from the 2018-2019 marketing year. It reduced exports, it reduced domestic use, but it created increased carryover. So we're already starting the 1920 marketing year with higher stocks. Exports are still pretty robust. They're forecasted at about 17 million bales, but USDA has still not come off that 22 million bale cotton production estimate. Deliberto also says USDA has raised its cotton ending stocks guesstimate by 300,000 bales to a staggering 6.7 million bales. And that's why the forecast for the marketing year price was reduced in July to 63 cents a pound, which would be a four-year low for cotton lint. Everybody talks about the uncertainty in acreage. When that March intentions report came out, some folks thought that 13.7 acres may be a little low. But I think looking back on it, I think that number is fairly consistent of where the market may turn up. We thought we were going to see some acreage shifts in the North Texas panhandle, cotton that maybe didn't get planted, maybe growers that wanted to plant corn or sorghum there. Germination issues, uh, weather conditions, I think are still going to drive this market. Really, cotton is just like corn or soybeans right now. So much weather uncertainty 
be so much of the growing season is still out ahead of us right now. The weather is really going to start to influence production, which is going to have to happen so we can see some kind of bump up in prices. And Alberto says exports are vital to the U.S. cotton industry. Are we going to produce that 22 million bale crop? We don't have a lot of domestic use in the country. We need exports to be strong so that we can prevent really a buildup of stocks. Ending stocks are already forecasted to grow depending upon if we get a short crop, that 22 million bale doesn't come to fruition. If we can keep our exports strong, that can alleviate those stocks. And then we could start to see some sort of pressure mount for the positive on prices and start to increase. When you look at the charts on the December cotton, getting above that 60 cent level is going to be relatively hard to do without something changing in the market. And I think that just kind of provides some thought as to why there's so many bearish undertones right now. You can make the argument exports to countries that have increasing mill use or positive that can be seen as bullish but the supply side dynamics right now that the market is facing does prevent a challenge i'm don molino on the voice of louisiana agriculture podcast sign up for the market facilitation program continues here in louisiana and our state has received one of the higher payment rates in the country that's according to andy brown associate commodity director for the louisiana farm bureau federation uh louisiana fared well but that uh that sounds Good, and it is good, but it also means that Louisiana is one of the states being hit the hardest. Um, while Louisiana fared on the high side of the of the county or parish rate, um, comparatively across the nation, the Mid-South really benefited the most as a whole. Brown says this program comes at a time when farmers really need it because of the continued trade war with China. We could have used it earlier. I'm sure the farmers you know, would, would appreciate having that money. Uh, this is not going to cure all ailments. This isn't going to allow farmers to grow their business necessarily. It's just a matter of staying afloat right now. Sign up will continue through December, but the first checks should go out shortly. Corn and rice harvest are rolling in Louisiana. The latest Louisiana Crop Progress and Condition Report shows that 7% of the corn crop is now harvested and 21% of the rice crop is harvested. LSU Ag Center rice specialist Dustin Harrell says he's seen some harvest results that look pretty good, but there are others that don't. Uh, Early on, uh, we've actually had some reports of some good yields, uh, but most of our yields have been a little bit below average this year, and um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, We've had a pretty challenging year. Uh, If you'll remember, at the beginning of the year, we were very cold and wet. Uh, This led to uneven emergence and late emergence of a lot of our rice crops, so we were very uneven. Uh, The wet conditions continued, and it was hard to get our herbicides out on time, uh, as well as our pre-flood fertilizer uh, going out on dry ground was much difficult. Uh, And then, you know, we ended the year with a hurricane. Uh, We had a lot of wind and rain while the rice was flowering, uh, and this blanked a lot of our grains. So... You add up all the different challenges we've had this year, and it's uh, to be expected that we're going to be a little bit lower uh, than average for our yields. Typically, uh, whenever you have the first harvest of the year, most of those uh, yields are generally above average. For us to be having average yields early on in the season uh, doesn't bode well uh, for an above average year, so it's to be expected. And of course, Hurricane Barry played its role in reducing rice yields this year. So typically rice flowers from about 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock and it'll actually start beginning the flower at the top of the panicle and work its way down. So anytime that that flower uh, is open uh, and you have wind and rain, it can disrupt pollination uh, and cause that grain to blank. Uh, And you can also have uh, wind damage where it can actually bruise that grain. So I think that there was a percentage of our rice that was at that stage uh, that probably had an overall negative effect on our yield. If we would have gotten the, you know, 25, 26 inches of rain that were forecast for a lot of southwest Louisiana, it could have been a true disaster. So from that fact, uh, we were very fortunate. uh, And considering that it could have been a disaster, it's it's a lot better. You know, we're doing a lot better than we could have been at this point. LSU Ag Center Rice Specialist, Dr. Dustin Harrell. That is a look at some of the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture. Don't forget, you can check our website each and every weekday to stay up to date. VoiceofLouisianaAgriculture.com or VoiceofLAAg.com. We update that website every weekday with all the latest news and happenings 
right here in Louisiana agriculture. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to our daily e-newsletter. It's called The Daily Voice. On the homepage of the website, you'll see a button right there in the middle. It says click here to get our daily news update. You click that button. Just put in your name and email address, and we'll send you the latest news in Louisiana agriculture every weekday morning at 5 a.m. Coming up next, it's time to go to the halls of government. We'll check in with the dean of the Louisiana House of Representatives, Andy Anders. Andy is the longest-serving member of the House. He is a former chairman of the House Agriculture Committee. He's a former farmer, and he's been a big advocate for Louisiana agriculture. He's reaching the end of his tenure in the House, and so we'll visit with him about some of the things that he experienced in his 13 and a half years there, and we'll check to see what's in store for the future. From an old-time friend, Andy Anders is next on Grassroots Government right here on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. If you're a farmer or a rancher, Farm Bureau wants you to join and be a part of their family. I grew up in Louisiana farm country, and I know all the hard work and sacrifice that you put into raising livestock, growing a crop, raising a family, and running a farm. Farm Bureau puts that same hard work and sacrifice into making life better for you and your family, so join today. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. It's time for a look inside the halls of government in this week's edition of Grassroots Government on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Our guest on Grassroots Government is State Representative Andy Anders. And Andy, you are wrapping up your time in the state legislature. You finished up this recent session. Uh, how does it feel to be kind of, I guess, at the end of your tenure, uh, being one of the longest tenured representatives in the House? Carrie, it's uh, kind of bittersweet, I guess. I told them, as I say, the days are long and the years roll by. And I came in 06 after Katrina under uh, Kathleen, and we went through some times there. And then we had some good times when the federal dollars after the flood. And then, you know, we went through eight more years under Jindal's administration. But as I get to the end of my, I guess, tenure in here or whatever, and I am the longest serving, the dean of the house or whatever, after 13 and a half years, as we're getting so far away from agriculture, I'm one of the only ones that has a Schedule F on my income tax and have farm-related income, and it's hard to find people to come to the legislature because the time of the session is during the planning season and whatever else and that's most important but as you say so many of the younger group have come in and in my time your grandfather or somebody was connected to agriculture and now we've gotten disconnected from that and the newer guys that are coming in have no ties to their grandfathers with you know agriculture related businesses so it's been a challenge for me to try to find somebody to fill my slot to carry on because everybody in the legislature, when it came to agricultural issues, always came to me. Well, Andy, you and I have known each other a long time. We met, uh, gosh, probably 20 years or so, well before you were a state representative. Uh, you have a strong background in agriculture. Tell our listeners a little bit about where you come from. Well, I grew up uh, in Faraday, Louisiana, and my father had a construction business and a farm. And then I guess when I graduated high school, I went to Louisiana Tech and got an ag business degree and came back and ran the farm. And we farmed about 800 to 1,000 acres of cotton and beans, and then I ran a cotton gin. And, you know, I've just had ties to agriculture. And at the time that the legislature, I was, I guess, 49 years of age when I was elected and my kids were grown and my I leased the farm out at that time and still had ties to grain elevators and different things so you know it was perfect timing for me to serve my 13 years I'm 63 now but finding the new guys to come in is just harder and harder to find people tied to agriculture that want to come serve. 
Andy, what was it that made you make that step to run for office? I mean, it's not exactly a high-paying job. You ha- there has to be some other motivation. So what was it that caused you to, to take that leap into politics and run for state representative all those years ago? Well, you know, uh, Al Later, who Al was my predecessor, and Brian Hammett was after Al, so both of those were my predecessors. And Al's background or whatever, he went on to be Secretary of State, and Al had a big farming background. He came from Illinois down to Louisiana, I guess, and Al and Brian and I all three played basketball and went to the same high school. So it was kind of in the last 34 years, there's only been three of us, and we all, you know, talked each other, I guess, into pursuing this. And Al was a true leader, and Al's passed away, and I guess that was May of 17 or whatever, but he carried me forward in coaching me, I guess, of what to do and when I had issues or whatever. And it's always good. You don't want to listen to the people that are from New Orleans or whatever when you cut the ag issues. You want to talk to your people back home. And Al was always the guy that led me in the right direction. Well, Andy, when you became chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, uh, what was going through your head at the time? As you said, you'd only been a representative for a year and a half. That's that's quite a leap, you know, to go from a fairly new representative to chairing the House Agriculture Committee. And I guess it had to make you feel both, I guess, honored and a little scared, too. You're right. Uh, I, I never will forget my first meeting, and Mike Strain was just elected uh, commissioner, and Mike and I had served together in the House in 07 and 06 when I was there. And Mike and I, he kind of pulled what, I guess, Governor Edwards did. You know, it was one of those elections that nobody thought Mike Strain could win, you know. But Mike and I had a good relationship, but it was an honor. I mean, but I was scared, I I have to say. But I did my homework. I read the bills. I made sure I knew what I was. uh, And like you say, if it's good legislation, you always want to make sure your good legislation makes it to the floor. And I'd always go back to Farm Bureau and everybody else and say, hey, is this what's going to take place? If it's bad legislation, the key is to make sure it doesn't get out of your committee. Andy, do you feel like in the time that you spent in the House that you were able to really make an impact on behalf of Louisiana agriculture? I do. And, uh, you know, like you said, we had a bill that was an agritourism bill, and the trial lawyers were all against that bill. And, I mean, and Joe and Sandy and Farm Bureau helped guide me, and I helped, you know, and we won. And now we have several different agritourism bills. But I learned that I ran the quail hunting where you and I met the operation. Well, the insurance rates got so high that I couldn't afford to stay in business. So, you know, limiting the liability by the agritourism bill has opened doors for, you know, as I say, all kinds of agritourism from, uh, I I think the number was up to about 80 different businesses that, that wouldn't be there if, you know, I hadn't pursued the agritourism bill. Well, Andy, as we've already talked about, uh, you're wrapping up your time in the legislature. Uh, We're losing a very important advocate for agriculture. There's going to be a big turnover this fall in the legislature. How important is it that farmers and agribusiness professionals step up and do as you did, uh, put their toe in the water, get involved in politics, and run for office? And, you know, uh, you find it more and more that it's just harder as they say, these operations are run, you know, by a smaller number of labor, and so much of it's centered around the person, you know, I don't know if I was farming at the time that I could have done it. So, you know, but some of them have families that have brothers and and fathers that are still living, and I said, those are the guys that would need to take an active role and we're working on them i mean every time but like you say as far as me and being disconnected i'm not going to be disconnected from baton rouge i'm certainly for the next eight years or longer as i still have ties but there is going to be a big changeover and i'm hoping that we do have somebody with a schedule f and has a background and and because so many of these bills you don't really know until you've experienced yourself what it's going to do to your operation or whatever. So, well, Andy, you've been there, you've done that, you run for office, you've chaired the House Agriculture Committee, you've uh, been the longest-serving representative in the House. You have a lot of experience under your belt. What advice would you give for a 
farmer or someone involved in agriculture who's thinking about running for office? And, you know, I, I would love to visit with them because there are some pros and cons, but there were a lot of more pros than there were cons in this. And the people that I met, and really I told somebody, everybody wants to talk to their congressman. I guess I serve with six of the congressmen or whatever else that are in D.C. So, like you said, those are the connections. Sometimes you get calls about what's going on in the state. Well, it's a federal issue. But I can pick up the phone and call them personally and have all their cell numbers. So, you know, just being an active role or whatever is I just want people to know that we need to keep this connection with agriculture because it's a dying breed out here, as we know. State Representative Andy Anders, uh, it's been fun watching your career in the legislature, but I, I understand you're not exactly getting out of politics. You've got another race coming up. What's in the future for Andy Anders? Well, I'm running for the clerk of court back in my home parish of Concordia, and I'd planned this eight years ago if it all worked out. And the prior, uh, as I say, clerk is retiring after 55 years, so my goal is to come back. And uh, as I say, I served my 14 years in uh, Baton Rouge, and now I'm going to serve the rest of my career back home, hopefully. State Representative Andy Anders, thanks so much, Andy. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Kerry. As we've already mentioned, rice harvest is now well underway here in Louisiana. We'll get an update directly from a rice farmer coming up next in the field. We'll check in with Acadia Parish rice, soybean, and crawfish farmer Alan Lawson. That's next in the field right here on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. As the old saying goes, close only counts in horseshoes. So why take the chance with weather information when it comes to critical decisions with your fields? It's time to experience pinpoint field level forecasts that are 40% more accurate than the competition. Experience the DTN Ag Weather Station. With this level of information, you'll know exactly what's happening at any time in your actual fields. This allows you to plant, spray, and harvest with a new degree of precision. Head to DTN.com today to learn more. Taking you to the fields of Louisiana as we hear from one of you in the field on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. We're going in the field to visit with Alan Lawson. He is a rice, crawfish, and soybean farmer in Acadia Parish. He says he is getting his rice harvest underway, and so far the yields have been a bit disappointing, but Given the year we've had, that's probably to be expected. We've only, we, we started harvest last week. We've got a couple of days in. Um, the yields have been uh, somewhat disappointing, but with the weather we had, they're probably better than, than they could have been. We normally like to, to plant into a stale seed bed, do fall, fall uh, land prep, and then we come back in the spring into a stale seed bed situation and uh, this year we just you know the rain started last year at harvest and it just never really dried enough to get the fall work done so we um, we started out in the spring having to do a lot of field work which uh, which put us a little bit later than we wanted to be on the on the planting and uh, we would do a little bit in between a rain and we'd get a rain out and we it would be wet for a week or so and then we'd have to come back in and plant so the the crop wound up getting planted later than we would like um, and uh, the rains continued when we were trying to get fertilizer out and spraying and and whatnot it just it just never really cooperated um, then we had a little dry spell in there during the summer and then it's when when the when we were trying to when the rice was heading and filling out it was raining again so uh and then along came hurricane barry and added insult to injury and probably could have been a lot worse than it is uh we really are very fortunate that we didn't get what we could have gotten out of that hurricane so what exactly did you get out of the hurricane 
Uh, we only round up with about a little under three inches of rain and, and we had some, some pretty high winds for a few days which probably caused some of the problem that we're having um, with some of this rice. It, I would think Barry with the high winds for a few days probably had an effect on the yields at some point. You know, at, at when, when, they, when Barry was forecast to come into land uh, to make landfall, there was some talk about some 25-inch rain totals um, that would have just been a repeat of 2016 where we had 28 inches of rain in 2016 and and with a ripe crop you're going to have water back up on it you're going to have wind blow it down it's going to sprout it's just that could have been a, a, just a total disaster for the for the entire rice growing section of the of the country it's not all gloom and doom um, we, we could have been in way worse shape than we are. With, had we gotten that 25 inches of rain and had that storm become a true category one hurricane and blown through here with 60 mile an hour winds, it'd have been a whole different story. So we really, we really were very lucky. And Lawson says this hot, dry weather makes for very good harvesting conditions right now. Of course, you know, it, it's summertime in South Louisiana. We, we're gonna get pop-up afternoon thunder showers, but it looks like it's it, we, we're going to have a, a pretty good run of weather here. You know, we'll, we'll probably dodge a shower or two here or there, but looks like we're going to have a pretty good run of weather for the next 10-day forecast. Um, hot and dry. Um, we should be able to get a lot done. And uh, these fields are, are drying now, which, which allows us to manipulate the stubble and, and not make a, bunch, uh, make a lot of ruts out here and for, so we can make a good ratoon crop. I mean, if, if we can get the conditions dry when we harvest and not really tear up the fields and make a lot of ruts, and we have a chance to come in and, and mow the stubble or, um, and just manage it right, put the fertilizer on dry ground, um, a lot of times a rice plant will, a lot of times the second crop will, will make up some of that, some of that deficit from, the, from what didn't make on the first crop. And Lawson is hopeful that a stronger rice market can help offset some of the production losses he's facing this year. Yeah, I mean, we've had some, some pretty good sales to our rack here this year. And um, if, anything good's if anything good can come out of this, this bad planting season in the spring, um, acres are down. So when you take a below normal, you know, a little bit lower yield and lower than average acres, bound to help with the carryover and we might see some we've seen a little upward movement in the price of rice um, I, I don't know if that continues or not but you know the last thing you need is a lower yield and a lower price Acadia Parish rice crawfish and soybean farmer Alan Lawson and Alan was talking about the markets there well let's take a deeper dive into the grain and livestock markets that's coming up next we'll check the markets with Greg Fox and Dave Foster next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. What comes out of the ground creates energy and has been a major contributor to Louisiana's economy for over two centuries? No, it's not oil. It's sugar. Sugar cane, sweet sugar cane. Ever since the Jesuits began cultivating sugar in colonial Louisiana, this sweet crop has had a major impact on our economic well-being. Each year, our sugarcane industry creates an economic boon of nearly $3 billion for the Bayou State. This vital business engine supports fuel and fertilizer distributors, tractor and automotive dealerships, supermarkets, and more than 15,000 Louisiana jobs. The sugar industry also benefits research universities and schools, banks, and insurance agencies. Sugarcane, sweet sugarcane. The Louisiana sugarcane industry, helping empower the people of Louisiana for more than 220 years. Louisiana sugar, making life sweeter, naturally. look at the markets with insight from the experts at the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. 
And to check on the markets now, we visit with Greg Vox of the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. Greg, let's talk about the grain markets. We're talking here at midday on Monday. USDA released its latest crop production and supply and demand report this morning, and we have had a strong reaction in the grain markets today. Corn especially limit down 25 cents all day long. Tell me what was in that report and what's causing this negative reaction today. Well, in July, they put 91.7 million planted acres, and they bumped it down to 90, this report. Trade was really looking at about 87 was the average guess, but anywhere from about 89 to 83 is where they thought this was going to fall into place. So when it come in at 90, kind of really threw a wrench in it, then they added to the yield so that added to total production so you know trade still a little confused they thought we were going to see a lower number on that corn the one thing they look at is prevented plant was around 11 million so we were potentially looking at 100 million acres of corn going in the ground this year so you know nobody's really sure who's right who's wrong on that front but that's what we've got to work with and because of this planted acre number still being where it is, you know, we're seeing the corn market dip very hard. How about soybeans? What did they say in the soybean numbers? Soybeans were a lot more positive. You know, we came in at uh, 80 was last last month, and we came in at 76.7. So we saw a good reduction on the corn, on the bean side. Yield stayed the same, but when you lower planted acres, your production lowered. So really positive for the bean market. Thought we. You know, that could give the market some support, but with corn down the limit, it's real tough for beans to get any kind of rally. Then you look at, you know, we're still looking at a billion bushel bean carryout. So that would have had a limit on any upside there, but it's, we still should have seen, you know, a little better trading or at least a flat trade today on the beans. But again, hard to do that when corn's lock limit down. Well, Greg, on a day like this, what kind of marketing advice do you have for folks? Uh, not much, unfortunately. It's um, you know, take a look at what basis levels are doing. Um, you know, if you, if the basis levels are are pretty firm, which some of them are right now, especially for corn, some of the August bases on soybeans have perked up a little bit as well. You know, look to taking some basis contracts, and then you can kind of ride this market out a little bit more. And if things change, come you know September when the September report hits, if they if they drop corn yet a little bit. You know, that could give some excitement into it, and you could see it pop up a little bit. Um, and then, you know, if you once you take a basis, then you can always put in those open orders for where you're, you kind of hope to get to and, and then kind of go from there on the way up if we see a turn on this market. Um, but right now, it's, it's going to be tough until we start to get combines in the fields in the Midwest and start getting uh, harvested reports. Of course, we have corn harvest rolling here in Louisiana. Greg, what are you hearing from your customers out in the field? as far as this 2019 harvest goes? So far, good on the corn side. You know, we're hearing, um, you know, some stuff as low as 130 on some land that, you know, they thought would have done a little better, some 180, some 170. You know, of course, there's going to be spots that are going to be better than that. But overall, guys are satisfied with the way corn's coming out. The weather has been beneficial for us. Um, so corn harvest so far is going along really well. Greg Fox, he's a grain marketing specialist with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. Thanks a lot, Greg. Yes, sir. Thank you. Now let's switch over and talk about the cattle markets. We're visiting with Dave Foster, CEO of Cattle Producers of Louisiana. Dave, this is a crazy day. We just got off the phone with Greg Fox talking about the grain markets sharply lower. Corn limit down today because of USDA's crop report released this morning. And normally when you have that happen, that gives a big boost to the cattle market. But that's not the case today. We're seeing limit down cattle futures as well. And that is linked to a fire we had at a Tyson plant up in Kansas over the weekend. So it's just been a crazy couple of days resulting in limit down markets. Give me your take on all of this. Yes, sir, Kerry. There's There certainly is a lot going on. And you kind of scratch your head and say, oh, well, why is all this going on? And what is the supply and demand? Uh, what is that all about? And, and uh, it doesn't have anything to do with supply and demand. It just has to do with sensationalism about, in this one case, a fire did a deal. The, the crop report came out and, and those kinds of things. So 
there, there's a reaction uh, to uh, to all of this. And then the, the sad part about it is uh, we we in uh, the ranching business uh, we've got to contend with uh, those areas that uh, are uncertain. And so let's take the corn market. The corn market's down the limit, and as you said, yes. Uh, this should help the cattle market, but why in the world is the cattle market down the limit? It's down the limit only because there's some sensationalism out there with these fires. But the reality of it is this: we're uh, we in Louisiana are in uh, we we are into August, and that's the time that uh, our cow calf guys that have springborn calves are going to start moving their calves to market. So there's plenty of supply on demand and. Uh, Except for this uh, last week or so in heat in the Oklahoma and Kansas, up and through there, uh, we had we were looking at uh, lots of pasture and lots of uh, summer grazing going on. That could be hurt a little bit, but however, um, our calves are still uh, are still in demand. Uh, the Packers had their way last week at, on Friday and bought cattle cheaper out of the feedlots, which. Uh, not sure why that happened either, because uh, all these feedlots are current, but they were able to do it, and so kind of it is what it is. But I guess what I'm trying to say is is um, we really need to, going through this time period that we're in right now for us in the cow-calf state, we need to pay attention to the markets on, uh, on a daily basis. And so I suggest to our listeners, carry that they... Uh, they check the markets, the regular cattle markets, and uh, the voice has a has a three good auction markets that uh, reflect what what's happening uh, in the in the state uh, through the local markets. And I think that's so important for us uh, in the ranching business is to look and to observe and and uh, kind of see what's going on. Call your marketing agent. Find out what's going on. Just don't show up to the auction market or just don't telephone your your guy in the video or the direct sales area and say, hey, I'm going to sell my cattle. I want to get them gone and, you know, do some planning. And that's what I'm telling all my folks is uh, don't get in a hurry right now. This market's kind of in a little flux and we just need to go go through it and uh, and see what happens. Dave Foster, he's CEO of Cattle Producers of Louisiana. Appreciate the insight, Dave. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Kerry. It's time for an update from my old stomping grounds up in northwest Louisiana with Jack Dillard's Voice of the Arklatex. That's next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Growing up in Sarepta, I could see the value of agriculture every time I left the house. Whether it was timber going to the paper mill or cattle in a pasture, I knew the farmers, ranchers, and landowners were keeping my hometown on the map. And the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation helps keep them in business. So join the Farm Bureau today. Become a member at lafarmbureau.org or call your parish Farm Bureau office. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. agriculture with the need of a little more rain would look fabulous. Right now, things are looking good. This is Jack Dillard. Now, we could use a general inch or two inch rain right now, but our cotton and row crops still two weeks behind, still looking good, but our hay meadows and our pastures are excellent. Still having armyworm problems, but the folks got the cattle are still spraying, so we're getting that taken care of. If you're putting down sun around your landscape, the sooner the better. We're getting later in the year. You'll need to water it twice a day for two weeks. Keep it kind of damp then for another week. And if you have any weeds showing up in it, don't worry about it. 
fertilize it later on and we'll crowd them out. Still seeing lots of log trucks loaded. In the spring, when it was drying up, we were moving a lot of timber. Our timber demand is improving. In fact, my timber man's coming up next week and give me another shot in a pretty good area. Harvest time is ahead. When that will be finished, it's going to be time to plan for 2020 crops. I'm not sure that we'll be planting in our area next year. We did not experience the flooding that many parts of our state did. However, we've got a certain amount of flooding, and it's on the best land. I guess we just got to make a better decision. Attendance at the educational meetings is most important. Folks, things are changing everywhere. If you're going to be one step ahead instead of two steps behind, don't miss these meetings. Cattle are in excellent condition. No one needs calves this time of the year. We would like for ours to start coming about the 20th of September and let them up and big when it gets cold weather. Pastures are in great shape wherever we look. Our philosophy said most of the trouble in the world is caused by people wanting to be important. This is Jack Dillard from the Architects. And that wraps up episode 36 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. We'll check back in with you next time, but until then, be sure to follow us on social media. We're on both Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Voice of LA Ag. We keep both of those accounts updated with all the latest news and information in Louisiana agriculture. We'll see you next time right here on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Thanks for listening to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This podcast is produced by Kerry Martin and the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. For more information, be sure to check out our website, voiceoflouisianaagriculture.org and lafarmbureau.org.